Hey, it's Graham. Our past in-depth guests have shared so many inspirational stories about overcoming adversity and tackling the darkest and most challenging times in their lives. We're sharing one of those moments in today's Thursday podcast in the hope that it provides a blueprint for any difficulties you might be facing. This week, Will Zalatoris. So over a year and a half period, you go from 5'4", 140 pounds, to 6'1", and 145 pounds. How does it impact you? I, I mean, I struggled. Um, you know, your motor skills go through, you know, hell and back to basically, you know, you get used to playing with a certain set of clubs, and now you're playing completely new clubs. And um, not to mention you're young and dumb and don't really know how to, you know, not mature enough to handle the struggles. And so, um, you know, I was pretty heavily recruited young, like probably getting my first letters at like 13. From about 15 to 17, I struggled pretty mightily. Um, some college coaches, you know, one college coach told me that, you know, hey, you can get into school first and you can walk on here. And I'm like, well, that kind of sucks. And then the second one, he asked what my goals were as a professional golfer. I just said, I don't know, like, you know, maybe win the U.S. Junior and, you know, go to play D1 golf and play PJ Tour someday, and I remember him telling me, well, all of my guys walking in here, I want them to be world number one, and obviously you don't have the same attitude that I want my guys to have. And Stanford was, correct me if I'm wrong, like the place you always wanted to yeah, go. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was, um, when basically they kind of stopped recruiting me, um, it was kind of a, a low point. You know, offers are starting to dry up a little bit, and then Jerry Haas comes along and offers me the Arnold Palmer scholarship to go to Wake Forest. How did that belief in you at that time impact you? It meant an incredible amount because all I was told was no for two years, basically. And then finally, when someone comes along and says, you're our guy, um, it meant a lot. I mean, it, it started to get me to kind of believe in myself again. And I won uh, the US Junior, the Transmiss, and the Texas State Amateur after I had signed my national letter of intent. Most people, when they sign their national letter of intent, they've already proven themselves and if anything, I signed my national letter of intent and then proved myself. Everybody I talked to close to you told me that year and a half after you left college was the hardest period of your life. Um, what made it that way for you? You know, you leave early because I wanted that full year to get all of my starts, you know, kind of cut my teeth as opposed to basically having a month and a half blitz and having to, you know, catch fire in a bottle and you know when you're missing Monday qualifiers by four five six you know when you're not making any money and you're on your own I mean it's it's just not fun at all. I think it was December 18 or January 19 after you, you don't qualify for Q school mm -hmm. uh, you have this pretty important meeting mm -hmm. with your team set the scene and explain what's talked about? Yeah, so basically at the end of every year, we kind of do a year in review. It was like, okay, this is rock bottom. Like you need to go do anything you can do. I kind of had to eat the humble pie and, you know, go play in some mini tour events where you finish, you know, third and you make 600 bucks and you're like, oh, well, got money to go home with. I'm curious uh, if your mom has ever brought this up to you because when I was talking to her, she told me, as a parent, you wondered, when is he going to realize maybe this isn't going to happen? You start to wonder, how are you going to support him in this realization? Yeah, 
it's tough. I mean, especially where I had had so much success for so long and there's no guarantee that you'll ever get to that next level. I mean, it doesn't matter how hard you work. I mean, it's just, that's just part of it. How about mentally what your single lowest point was during that period? I think probably the worst was I missed a qualifier in Kansas City and remember just sitting in an airport hotel and just basically wondering if, you know, hey, I mean, I've done, I'm like 0 for 25 at this point. Like, am I cut out for this? Depressed? No, I mean, because it's still just golf. I think the part where, for me, where I'm, I'm probably a little sick in the head would be that my biggest moments have come after my lowest of lows. And it happened multiple times throughout my golf career. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, like, hey, this is... I'm at rock bottom with my golf game. Like, it can only get better from here. Do you talk to anybody about it then, or do you internalize that? Tony the most. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he, Romo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Romo the most. I mean, I'm beyond lucky to call him a, you know, a brother figure to me. I mean, I'm number 12 in the world or 13 in the world in golf. Like, that doesn't even sniff what it's like being the quarterback of Dallas Cowboys. You know, the part that's so funny is I see a lot of me in him, and I know that he sees a lot of, he sees the same. I can ask him some of the most particular questions about his career and the little minute details of like, hey, what, did you have any game day traditions? And it was funny how both him and I had a lot of the same things, but for a guy who's as analytical as it, as it gets, he cracks me up at how he has his nuances that are just so funny. I mean, I think I've seen him wear the same shirt like six out of the last 10 days type <laughs> thing. But that's just him. I mean, Tony's Tony. He's a mad scientist. And that relationship meant what to you during those kind of toughest days? Uh, it's invaluable. I just remember sitting on his uh, outside by his pool one night and just kind of telling him, I'm like, this is just awful. This is a life-changing move that I did, you know, leaving early from school. And I still plan on graduating, um, and I still planned on it at that time. Six credits to go. Yeah, all electives. So underwater basket weaving and fire prevention and all that garbage, that's all I need to do. But... Yeah, I mean, I, it, you question if you made the right decision or not. All of a sudden, within a year, I'm, you know, finishing sixth in the U.S. Open, and I was planning on graduating that fall, and all of a sudden, I've been a little busy for the last year and a half. What makes you say if you had gotten your PGA Tour card right away, that would have been the worst thing that could have happened to you? I think I, I was not mature enough to handle the week-in, week-out stresses of... I didn't know my routines. I would have over-practiced and overworked to a point where I would have just gotten in my own way. And I think when I had that year and a half of Corn Ferry where it was kind of teaching me how to play a full schedule, um, it made me ready for the next level. And it's a brutally painful, slow process, but at the same time, we're also talking about it, how I went from there to here in two years. I laugh at how now I get asked in, in the media if I'm worried about finishing or having the career runner-up Grand Slam and majors. I'm like, I haven't even played 10 majors yet. One quick favor before you leave, please consider giving the podcast a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping us reach new listeners. Thanks for your support. 